in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Adam Silver was on ESPN yesterday and said that the NBA has no plans to pause the season. Uh, And basically, he explained his thought process that he doesn't understand the logic in pausing the season because COVID's not going away. Like, if you pause it for two weeks, it's not like in two weeks COVID is going to disappear. So you just keep signing G League guys and Derek Carr. So, yes. So, in in Adam Silver's mind, it's why would we pause? We're just going to play through it and because this is reality now. Um, Should they follow suit on the non-vax? I think oh, excuse sh- me, on the vaccine. On the I vaccine. think they should, yeah. um, but the NBA has not done that yet. The NBA so far has gone with, hey, they're still testing vaccinated right. players, and they've now actually, they're allowing teams that for every player you have on the COVID list, you can sign a replacement player. So you can basically exceed the roster maximums that were in place before if you have a bunch of guys out because of COVID, which allows, which is, that just allows for games to be played. That does not help a competitive balance. That does not. That's just, hey, we got to get these games yeah. in. So sign a guy from the G League. We don't care. You just got to have a team ready to play. I, th- I I do think the NHL and the NBA, I do think the end result here is they stop testing vaccinated players and yeah. let vaccinated players. I mean, if and you're I symptomatic, should. if you're symptomatic, you get tested, you're positive, you're out. But if you're asymptomatic or, well, we won't, we won't even know if you're asymptomatic right. because they won't test them. So that I think is the end result here because all of these leagues are making it pretty clear. Like the important thing here is to get in the games, right? The NBA is willing to get in the games with G leaguers. They'll be willing to get in the games with vaccinated players that just, they're just not testing anymore. So I do think that's the end result. I'm out. All right. I, this, this is one of the best stories I've ever read. So the Raptors ejected 14 fans from a game for not wearing masks. 25 people were warned to put their masks on. 14 of them eventually got ejected. But what makes this story amazing is the way the arena was doing this. If you weren't wearing your mask, you were warned to put your mask on. But the way they warned them was by giving them a yellow card. Soccer. (laughs) How much do you love this? Because it has everything to do with soccer, giving people yellow cards. Did they... So they gave them a yellow card to like, like hold or did they yeah, actually, so oh man, no. So according, I, according to the story in the Toronto Star, they hand you a yellow card that says you've been warned. Masks must be worn at all times while not actively eating or drinking. Proper mask protocols require your mask to be returned to covering your chin in between actual asks of eating or drinking. Uh, a second offense will result in ejection. Give me a whistle. A stack of yellow cards and a ref's jersey. I'll run around T-Mobile oh, and hand out some yellow cards. He'd be a complete cards. lunatic oh, with all those. I mean, he would easily yes. be the youngest usher at uh, T-Mobile. Well, how many? Again, I don't. I'm at the press box. You, you are too when you're there. How many ushers are there in T-Mobile? Let's say it's one of those eighteen thousand nights where do you have an entire section as the one usher? There's not that many ushers at T-Mobile Arena during. There's. The I know there's one at the top of every. Like of the concourse, like where you walk down right, to your seat right. because they don't let you walk down during play. They make you wait until there's a stoppage before you walk down. Which, by that the takes way, takes an eagle eye. A great rule. Uh, great rule. But yeah, you have. I mean, one usher for entire people. sections, basically. Now, 
put me in a referee's jersey with a whistle. I'm going around handing out yellow cards. We're getting people out of there if they're not wearing their masks. God, that would be so much fun. Do you know how much fun I would have doing that? Yes, Running of course. around you would want to be kicking everyone giving out. Giving people yellow cards? Yes. Oh, my God. Okay, what 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 is your I yellow also... card per presentation are you going full in their face with the yellow no 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 you i make just... them stand up and walk down the aisle so you can like shove it in their oh, face oh that's a good move you can bring them because the reps do soccer, that all the refs time do they're, that. Like, they're like come, come over here yes. jimmy come i make them walk to me yes and then just Through straight people. up in the air <laughs> not in their face just straight up in the air so as many people can see it right oh my god that would be so much fun I'm serious this would be one of the most fun uh, things i've ever done if i could run around t-mobile and give people yellow cards this works. I've been on... Okay, the one thing I, I always... La and I don't laugh at. I shouldn't laugh. But on planes nowadays, uh, the announcement's made. You have to wear it, and in between sips or bites, you have to wear it. And if not... And they always kind of stop it, if not, because I'm like, we're at 35000 Shut so them out. So if Jimmy over here just doesn't wear it, which, by the way, I was on a flight recently where Jimmy didn't wear it, and no one was saying anything, and and and... I, they didn't say anything, but I'm like, what are they going to tell this guy? I mean, I guess he can put it up. You stewardess walks away, and Stewart walks away, and you put it back down. What are you going to do to the guy? You can have the, you know, you can have the police waiting at the gate. So those announcements are just so silly because, like, what well, you, you you can't you can't enforce this. Most people play along on planes; they have their masks on. I get that. This guy, I then heard him in baggage claim as we're waiting for our bags, talking to some people to the side. Just ripping the mask mandate, of course. Just ripping it. I saw someone yesterday, not only with a mask on, but with a shield. How stupid is that? He needed his yellow card. He needed you to run into the baggage claim with a with an official shirt on, and people are waiting for their bags, and you're whistling the whole time as you hold the can card we, up. Can we just on the so card? Funny. Can we just get bleep hole, like put on the card so that you you put it up and you're like, here you go. Oh God, it'd be so funny. I hand out yeah oh my god it'd be incredible they we have need... to give you a huge stack of those things oh. man yeah you'd, you'd, get yeah, you'd be you wouldn't even give be... anyone the second chance this this seems to think this seems to say that they got like a warning yeah you get a yellow card need... and then if you get if you're not wearing it a second time it's your second yellow oh. and you're out of the game that's right give me red cards i'll 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 be sending people out on the first offense that's crafty wording right there i give you credit <laughs> <laughs> Georgetown had to forfeit a conference game against Providence. Uh, there have now been three Big East games that have been ruled forfeits because of COVID outbreaks. The Big 12 today announced they are reversing their forfeiture policy, where if a team had to miss a game because of COVID, they were going to give them a forfeit. The Big 12 has reversed that. Do you think that's the right call? They're, the Big 12 is reversing in terms of you don't have to forfeit, or you it, do. It have does to not count as a loss. Yeah, in the Big 12, I mean, it does not count as a loss now. I just, I was surprised that, and I know schedules are tight that you can't. This had to be a non-conference game. Oh, it's a conference game. It's if it's non-conference, it just doesn't count. Just never. Happen. You can't replay the game at some point. That's. I mean, you can I, for some, but not really. I know the, I know the conference schedule's tight once you get yeah. into that. I mean, once UNLV plays, they play basically every... They play a weekday game and a weekend game. And a game. weekend game. They have... You get two breaks, right? You get right. one weekend you don't play, you get one weekday you don't play, but... So, yeah, there's there might be a few options, but if you have... Once you get up to, you know, four or five total missed games for an entire conference, that becomes impossible. So, the Mountain West Conference falling in line with the forfeits. Yeah, everybody was. Everybody was out here with... Yeah, because... But when college basketball season was starting, or even before when they put these rules in place, there was no Omicron variant, and vaccinated people basically weren't spreading COVID. Right. So the idea was if everybody's vaccinated, 
It was basically, hey, get vaccinated. Your team can't, you won't, you won't catch it. You won't spread it. And you won't have to pass it around. If you're unvaccinated, you might catch it and spread it. And your team has to shut down. And there might be, and we're going to punish and, you for you it. You might make it mutate into something else. Yeah. So, but now <laughs> that vaccinated people can spread it, conferences are basically saying, well, there's not really anything the teams can do about this because vaccinated people are catching it and spreading it. So they're saying, well, it's not really fair to make you forfeit when you had zero control over these guys catching it and passing it to the rest of the team. What do you think? Antonio Brown is coming back to the Bucks. If you remember, Bruce Arians at one point said, if he screws up one more time, he's done. Since then, Antonio Brown's been caught with a fake vaccination card. And Bruce Arians, when asked about that yesterday, said, well, the history has changed since that statement. A lot of things went on last year that I was very proud of him, and I made a decision that was best for our football team. This is the NFL. The talent is too good. The talent's too good. We just lost one of our best guys to an ACL. This guy's coming back, and don't ask me any questions. And he was pretty rough about it. I don't know who asked the question, but he was kind of a jerk about it. So NFL in a nutshell right here. Win at all costs. Don't care. Don't care what he did. He can play. He's talented, so we're going to bring him back. And Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell's a buccaneer today. Um, I am, I will say. That is weird i'm gonna set a really low bar for bruce arians i am just glad he didn't say everyone deserves a second chance the ultimate cliche right and antonio brown would be on about his eighth or ninth chance at this point and i i there's a little bit of this where he says i made the decision that was best for our football team there was a little bit of this that's i'm mm, i need talent i just lost my best guy so that's who we're gonna that's he didn't explicitly but that's like honest. Yeah. That's him basically saying, "Yeah, we this guy's talent. this guy's better than uh, Brashard Perriman or whoever the hell their number right. one wide receiver would be this week if they didn't have Antonio Brown. Like <laughs> this guy's pretty good at football, and we have a lot of injuries yeah. at wide receiver. So he's back. He served his time. We're gonna take him, and you know who cares oh, about that's... punishment? Oh, I was just gonna say. Well, you also you can't fire the guy that you didn't hire. Like Tom Brady hired that guy. <laughs> John Brady made that decision. Yeah, great question. Yeah, again, great question. A Jackson State linebacker has been arrested for defrauding the government for COVID money. Uh, apparently, we're looking at mail fraud here. Nah, he, hey, he should he should work for Goldman Sachs. Creative. Uh, he set up basically like fake unemployment status, fake job history to be like, hey, I had this job paying this much and... COVID, I got lost my job because of COVID. I need, you know, unemployment money. Uh, from the story on ESPN, the indictment stated that Abdul Malik McLean caused at least three dozen fraudulent applications for relief to be submitted that sought at least $903,000 in benefits. At least $227 was paid out. It's <laughs> a good scam. Yeah. <laughs> we should, uh, no, seriously, he should he should work for the banks. It was, it, listen, he did. He wasn't out here scamming for like 300 bucks. He was scamming for, listen, guys, I'm making more money than any of you off these, your NIL yeah, deals. You get an NIL deal. I was going to say, <laughs> I got it handled. This is the best NIL deal I've heard of yet. <laughs> There's no question about that. He also apparently did this while he was at USC, not at Jackson at State. Jackson. Transferred to well, Jackson State after well, cash. A lot of people with money time. at USC. Yeah, a lot of people with money over there. Happy to move on to the, to the next question here, Aaron. All right. This is an important story that we haven't gotten to all week. The Ohio Department of Education 
finally completed their investigation yeah. of Bishop yeah. Sycamore. Yeah. And they discovered that Bishop Sycamore was not a legitimate school. If you remember, Bishop Sycamore was the, <laughs> the best fake high school that played IMG uh, to open the season. They lost 58 to nothing. Uh, people were like, what the hell is Bishop Sycamore? Why does it look like their players don't have the right size helmets? And it found out that it wasn't actually a school. It was just a guy who had done some pyramid schemes with football teams in the past or something. It started a new one. And some of the players were had played junior college football before. Uh, their investigation found that the address was just somebody's house, uh, which was changed from a warehouse, if you remember that. Uh, and also that Bishop Sycamore, uh, they filed with the Department of Education one enrolled student. <laughs> yeah, because he lives at the house. <laughs> and it might be my kid because he was wearing his Bishop, or, Bishop Sycamore shirt the that's, other day. That's what I, I, might I, was be Bishop Sycamore. I was about to ask. Do you <laughs> see might you, be you, me. Did the shirt actually get shipped? Oh, he wears it all the time. Bishop Sycamore <laughs> football. Yeah, he wears it all the time. So the other important detail here, though, is that the Ohio Department of Education, they they have no jurisdiction. They cannot punish the people who started Bishop Sycamore because I mean, it's they're they're technically were like a religious affiliated school, which in Ohio falls outside of the jurisdiction of the Ohio Department of Education. So they investigated it and they were like, yeah, this is a scam. This isn't real, but we can't do anything. I mean, I guess I just don't know who they punished. The one dude with the who lives in the <laughs> yes. house. What would they do to the you? Guy you can no longer it. have fake. He should be in jail. The guy who said yes, because <laughs> some of the kids on the team were actually high schoolers. The one who yes. said, "Yeah, come to my high school." And they play took football. us to the library one, one time. time. That was the best. Where the where was the library in some abandoned building? <laughs> one of the best stories of the year, twenty twenty one. So Bishop Sycamore, not legitimate. Uh, finally official, according to the Ohio <laughs> Department the way, of Education. Why did it take so long? This investigation's been going a long time. You couldn't tell within like a week. This guy's not real, and there's nope. and and the school's a house. I'm still disappointed. Liberty did not get to play them. Yes, uh, that the NIAA stepped in yes. and said Liberty can't play Bishop Sycamore. I would have loved to have seen Liberty play oh, Bishop Sycamore. Been great. Would have been fun. Would have been fantastic. All right, coming up next, Ed's gone. We'd like to think so. Again, it's it's. We all know we go out there. How important it is to win a game, right? We, we wouldn't be playing them. Um, we're all pro football players, and uh, we understand the situation we're in. You know what the race looks like, and so again, I, we've been playing to the bitter end. You know, I think a week ago is a week ago, and and uh, we gave up big play towards the end, uncharacteristic a little bit, gave up a gap, and. And, uh, you know, it was just a matter of time before Cleveland was going to come out and try to run the ball, you know, down our throat for as long as they could. And, and they had some good drives and did a good job there in the end of the fourth quarter. And, but our, our defense held when they had to and, and forced a punt. And then our offense came down and, you know, gave Daniel a chance to win it. So, um, yeah, I, I'd like to think we're just going to keep playing to the bitter end and see what happens. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Some breaking news, according to Adam Schefter. Uh, Jets head coach Robert Sala has tested positive for COVID, uh, which would mean we have another NFL team playing without their head coach. The Saints did it. Cleveland did it. And I think somebody else did it this past week in the NFL. By the way, the Jets play the Jacksonville Jags this weekend, which means Jacksonville will have gone from playing the Texans to playing the Jets two weeks in a row. Jacksonville's terrible, but yet they're going to play back-to-back games against teams they could conceivably beat, which sounds ridiculous to think these teams are playing this late in the season and are all this bad. Uh, but on the Raiders, first off, here's a fun stat. 
thanks to Paul Gutierrez. The Raiders have drawn 263 yards in penalties just off of defensive pass interference this season, which is the most in the NFL. There's a couple of parts of this that I find interesting. Number one, that Raiders fans think the NFL is out to get them and hates them and wants to punish them, but yet the Raiders pick up a ton of yards off of defensive pass interference. But two, it's a product of Derek Carr throwing the ball down the field. Like more this year than ever before, Derek Carr's throwing the ball down the field. Even in games where he's been bad, he's still throwing it down the field a little bit more than we're used to. And because of that, like it's a genuine strategy to play for pass interference. Like if you underthrow a deep ball in one-on-one situations, you got a really good chance to get pass interference. Joe Flacco made a career out of it. And Derek Carr's done very well at doing that this year. I don't know how much of it's intentional, but he's done very well at doing that this year. But that's a byproduct of throwing it down the field. And the third thing here is sort of the more NFL league-wide question is, should the NFL go to the college-style rule where if you get called for defensive pass interference, it's not a spot foul? In the NFL, it's a spot foul. So if you throw a 40-yard bomb and you get called for defensive pass interference, it's a 40-yard penalty. But in college, it's 15 yards, automatic first down, which decreases the amount of penalty yardage you get when you commit defensive pass interference. I think I'm leaning towards liking the college version better. I used to like the NFL's version because in my mind, hey, if I throw it 40 yards down the field and it would have been a completion, but the safety tackles my wide receiver, I should get the 40 yards. I mean, sometimes you get to go to to the next round of the playoffs. Yeah. But what's changed my mind is the amount of times a poor pass yeah. creates defensive pass interference where it's still, again, I don't have, I don't have a problem with calling a defensive pass interference because usually when it gets called, the defensive back doesn't turn around, right? They, right. they, they interfere with the receiver and they don't make a play on the ball. And I'm fine with punishing the defensive back who doesn't even know the ball is coming. But I hate the idea that you can get 40, 50 yards because the quarterback just threw a horrible pass and the defensive back just wasn't aware. Like, I feel like 15 yards is the right middle ground where, okay, the defensive back gets punished because he did not make a play, did not make a good play. But we're also not rewarding the quarterback for just having a terrible pass 30 yards down the field. Like, so I think I like the college one better because of how many pass interferences are just kind of like, eh. The quarterback threw it so poorly it, that it just happened. My biggest pet peeve is on deep passes, the wide receiver having to stop, turn around, and run the other direction in order to catch your deep pass, and he runs directly into the defensive back. That's how it happens. That's what you got to do. Um, so, yeah. So, I I kind of like the idea of them changing it to 15 yards, even though there will absolutely be some plays where you're like, oh, they got screwed. Like it would have been like it's it was intentional PI or whatever. But that doesn't really happen in college football. You don't have guys that are like, oh, I'm burnt. I better just hold him because 15 yards is better than 50. That doesn't really happen enough for you to put in the rule or to not put in a 15 yard penalty. One of the thing on the Raiders here, Rich Basachi yesterday when he talked to the media, he had no update on uh, some of their important injured players slash COVID players like Nate Hobbs is on the COVID list. Their starting slot corner has been phenomenal this year, like a really good rookie. They got in the middle rounds. Um, 
I don't know how important they're good at the middle rounds. They are very good at that. Usually, usually. the Lynn Bowden thing happened. So not always, but he started usually. time for, you know, the Dolphins. <laughs> but so Nate Hobbs on the COVID list, no update when he could be back. But the other big three injuries, you have Denzel Perryman, who has an ankle injury. Perryman has been a, he's a pro bowl. He's been a very good linebacker, right? The Raiders actually made a couple of good free agent signings this year. Denzel Perryman was one of them. No update on when he could be back. We saw uh, Divine Diablo get more snaps at linebacker this past week because Corey Littleton and Nick Kwiatkowski have not been very good. The two linebackers a couple years ago, the Raiders gave a whole bunch of money to have still not been very good. Uh, that's a conversation for the offseason. What to do with those two because they've got a lot of dead cap hit money if the Raiders try to cut them, even though they're not playing at all. But Perryman being out is a big deal because you're playing the Broncos with Drew Locke. I assume Vic Fangio is going to say, you know what we're doing? We're giving Melvin Gordon 30 carries and we're giving Javante Williams 30 carries. Drew Locke, you're going to throw it five times. Like, I have a feeling that's what Denver would like to do in this game. And so you need a Denzel Perryman who's helped them against the run this year, right? That's going to be sort of the idea. The other key injury with that mindset, and this is a very bizarre place to be, Jonathan Abram dislocated his shoulder. And we don't have an update on when he could be back. But I watched that Browns game, and for the first time, I thought Jonathan Abram was meant to play in this type of game. You're playing against a team with a third-string quarterback, a really good running game that wants to run the ball, and everybody knows they want to run the ball. That's the perfect game for Jonathan Abram. He could play basically every snap in the box and never have to worry about somebody going down the field for a pass. Nick Mullins completed one pass over 10 yards. There was no fear that anybody was running past Jonathan Abram in that game. So just play in the box, worry about the run. And he was very good. That was like, it was like, wow, Jonathan Abram guy's solid, right? It could be similar. Could be similar against Denver because drew lock is start and drew locks, not a guy that you're really worried about. And I assume Denver's going to try to run a lot. So this is back-to-back games where you're like, yes, you want Jonathan Abram on the field, but normally like, eh, I don't know if we want Jonathan Abram on the field, but you want him on the field, dislocated shoulder. We'll see. So I actually think Jonathan Abram is a plus for the Raiders the last two weeks, which is weird to say, because normally he's been one of their biggest negatives, but I think he he's a normally plus. injures his own players well, or himself, you know, dislocated the shoulder. I actually, I don't remember the hit. What did he do to dislocate his shoulder? Probably to him, a routine football play. Probably, but. We'll see what happens there. At least he didn't tackle a camera. And then, yeah, yeah running a cart. And then the last one was Darren Waller. He hasn't <laughs> practiced since Thursday. No update on him. He's on a treadmill. I assume his season's done. I mean, we did this with Richie Incognito where Ed in like week two was like, this guy's done, right? And I think that's what we should do with Darren Waller at this point. It's like, I, I assume his season's done. Until we get an update of he's practicing, I don't think there's I, any reason to sit around and think he's coming back. Is this team just really bad at managing the IR? Like, I don't understand why you wouldn't, like, just go, okay, he's on the IR, yeah. let's get someone else up. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it's it's not a big deal, but it is costing them a roster spot. That you Darren get Waller 53 hasn't been on dudes. The problem is you put him on IR now, he's out for the rest of the season because you got to be out three weeks. So they, I guess we should take that to mean they think he could come back. For the playoffs. <laughs> Coming up next, Jason Fitz joins the show. He plays the fiddle and is friends with Sarah Spain. And you 
are not. It's time for our weekly visit with ESPN's Jason Fitz. Good morning, Jason. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. All of those other good things. It feels like it's just a happy day, you know. I hope you're having a wonderful. I'm just in a good mood. I'm not going to lie. Good mood. All right. Well, I'm here to make that mood bad. Uh, what was good about the Raiders win over the Browns? Uh, they got to win. I mean, so I, so I'm going to a couple of things here. Number one, uh, I, we got to remember that Miles Garrett was going after an offensive line that has just been at times this year dreadful, and Nick Chubb was running against the defense that at times has forgotten how to stop the run. So there were still matchup issues, even with the Browns being decimated, and the Raiders handled those matchup issues really well. But most importantly, like I think we need to readjust our entire thinking on the NFL. This is a week-to-week league. Every week, everything looks completely upside down. So according to our football playoff elves, I don't know how they figure out their math, if the Raiders win out, they have a 95% chance of making the playoffs. Does it mean they're good this year? No. Does it mean that they have a shot at the playoffs? Yes. Shouldn't that have some worth? I mean, we're hitting Christmas and the Raiders are still in the conversation. Like, I think Raiders fans, myself included, I'm part of that group. And I think Raiders fans have collectively lost their minds this season with the spirit of negativity that happens no matter what happens for the team. All right. Well, how are you feeling about playing Drew Locke? I mean, you basically handed a second win in a row. Uh, I mean, yeah, but every time I've been super confident about a game this year, <laughs> whew, like, uh, let, let's be real about that. Like, I, I'm, it's still the Raiders. So, uh, look, but the the loss of Teddy Bridgewater is a significant one, and that tells you how bad Drew Locke is because Teddy Bridgewater is not all that great, right? So, you know, Drew Locke is somebody that, no pun intended, locks in on his first read. You can see it coming from a mile away. He's not a particularly good quarterback. He doesn't get kind of the, the ball out on time. Like, there's so many issues with Drew Locke that, I think the loss of, of Teddy Bridgewater for the Broncos is enough to keep a Broncos team, by the way, that is also in the thick of the playoff. We keep talking about, like, massive rebuild. I, I yelled at Michael Jr. about this the other day off air because he showed it a whole thing about how whoever comes in and becomes the new coach of the Broncos could turn around and get Russ, and all of a sudden the Broncos have this talent. And I'm looking at it saying, did I miss the part? Like, the Broncos are a playoff thick of it team right now. Again, not good, but in the playoffs. I think the Raiders have a really good matchup here. They can get that win. It's the Colts game a couple of weeks from now that's going to rip all of our hearts out. (laughs) So, all right, Jonathan Abram, he dislocated his shoulder, uh, and we'll see if he's able to play against Denver. But it it felt like watching the Cleveland game, it was the first time I thought, wow, Jonathan Abram is actually perfectly suited for an NFL game. Uh, Nick Mullins not wanting to throw the ball deep and Nick Chubb getting as many carries as they could get him. I feel like that could be the same with Denver. I feel like Vic Fangio is going to want to limit as much damage as Drew Locke can do to their chances to win and give Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon like 30 carries each. Like, I feel like this is the perfect two-game setup for Jonathan Abram. Yeah, well, and it speaks to to the coaching staff letting him do what he's good at, too. I mean, uh, I had a couple of buddies at ESPN that were texting me during the game saying, finally, Jonathan Abram's not being asked to cover much. Like, he's just not good at that. He wasn't (laughs) great at that in college. He's not good at that in the NFL. Like, what he's good at is being that hybrid guy that's sort of a more mobile version of a linebacker that can come up and make really good plays when he's playing in the box and around the line of scrimmage. He's super explosive and violent when he hits. Like, he's great at all of those things. But the intent's got to be, are they finally using that chess piece the best way that it can be used? Now, maybe in the world of chess pieces, he's a little one-dimensional, but that one dimension is a really good one when it's used the right way. So, you're absolutely right. I, I thought it was one of the best games I've seen from him as a Raider. And, you know, I, I will continue to give Gus Bradley 
at least the tip of the hat for figuring out a way to play chess with the pieces he has every single week. That, that speaks to coaching to me that he was being better utilized. All right. What do you make of the NFL's change here in terms of not testing vaccinated players unless they're symptomatic? No, well, it, it's, I, I, I don't know a nice way to say this about the NFL. It's no longer like we keep calling it COVID postponements and that's just stupid. They're cash postponements. Like this is a league that looked around and said, wait, no matter what our rules are, we're not going to be able to stop it. And if we keep testing it, then we're going to have to continue to postpone and maybe even cancel games. And their worst case scenario for the NFL is COVID hitting a quarterback that's asymptomatic before the AFC championship game. I mean, that'd be just the Raiders fan luck after an entire lifetime of waiting one winning season in 16 years. Finally see the Raiders get to the playoffs. They win out. They go 10-7. and seven, They get there, and then all of a sudden, you know, 27 asymptomatic players end up missing a game. So I think the league is looking at it saying, hey, we got to protect it. So now what they're doing is if you're vaccinated, as long as you're vaccinated, you're, there's only going to be spot testing, and they're going to try and focus on anyone that's showing any symptoms. So the league is basically saying, no, we can't stop this, but we really need the cash, and we don't want the product to be disrupted. So we're going to play. And that's not that much different than Adam Silver from the NBA saying, no, we're not going to stop this season. We're just going to go ahead and do what we do. See, I'm glad you brought up that the NFL made these decisions just to protect the Raiders, to make sure if they get in the playoffs, they'll be good to go. <laughs> well, and, and look, I, I love this, this concept. And, and again, it speaks to Raider Nation on social media right now, which is really just most, most days embarrassing ourselves. Uh, <laughs> the amount of yelling and screaming about <laughs> stupid conspiracy theories or whatever else it might be. But like the, the fact is, the NFL did not sit there and say, hey, let's postpone six or three games involving six teams, three, all three of which could impact playoff seeding just to job over the Raiders, who, by the way, uh, nobody wants to acknowledge this. Like the Thanksgiving Day game against the Cowboys got massive ratings. Why? Because when the Raiders are relevant in a big way, they get massive ratings. You think the NFL owners care more about jobbing somebody over than they do about getting huge ratings, which helps them make more money? No. So like six teams were impacted because the league is trying to figure out how to protect the only thing they give a damn about, which isn't screwing the Raiders. It's making money. All right. Is Daniel Carlson the best player on the team? Oh, you know, I, I think that's a little bit of shade to Max Crosby. So maybe we put him second. But it's like, look, I don't want to take it for granted. Like, you know, I don't care. I saw the, the people joking about the specialists, like leave it to the Raiders to always find a specialist in the Pro Bowl. Like, I, I don't think we should take for granted the fact that, you know, you got ice in your veins on as a kicker kicking in Cleveland. Like, it hasn't always been that way. Like, that's the one thing that I laugh about every single time I hear somebody have the conversation about Janikowski in the first round. Is, Look, I, yes, we can all laugh about, you know, taking a kicker in the first round. But you have to have the context to remembering the year before that when the Raiders lost, I think it was four games, because their kicker couldn't make a field goal. So, like, yeah, I, I understand that, that we sit here and laugh at our kickers being very good and reliable and make jokes about it. But I, I'm just saying, having a kicker that you know can make that kick twice, like, I felt good about it. And stupid, like, the dumbest thing any coach does is ice a kicker that knows that has been in the league this long. Like, it makes no sense to me. Like, all you did was give him a warm-up shot. Uh, so do you think Daniel Carlson should have waited until after the Cleveland game to sign his extension? Could have gotten some more money yeah. out of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think... I think he's being pretty well taken care of either way, you know, let's just be real about it. But it is nice to know that, you know, the, the, the kicking group is, is solid. That that's going to be the sales pitch for the next coaching staff. Hey guys, don't worry. We got Daniel Carlson. I'm sure that's going to get the number one coach to want to come back. 
All right. Uh, help me out with this tweet that you uh, prefaced yourself with an old man tweet alert. It wasn't that long ago. I remember sitting in meetings, planning music releases to ensure a fourth quarter album drop timed with momentum to capitalize on Christmas gift sales. I genuinely wonder how if that if that revenue spike has been replaced. What are we doing with this tweet? Yeah, so back in the day, and by back in the day, I mean 10 years ago, a lot of people don't realize, it, especially when you were putting out CDs, you didn't just put out a single when you were ready to put out a single. You actually looked at the landscape. Who else is putting out singles? When were, and, and it goes as far in country music. When will that single be projected to be going for number one? You want to make sure that your single is going for number one on the charts the week that you release a record. That's all very timed because you want everybody to be hearing your song so that they turn around and buy your record. And what used to happen is if you were looking at the landscape, you'd be like, all right, we want to go for number one in November, early November, because that way we're putting out a record in early November before radio stations split to all Christmas music because we want to make sure that every teeny bopper out there that listens to this band wants this CD for Christmas. It gets a big spike because then the song's popular, the record's popular. You time that in the fourth quarter in a way that gets you like at the end of the year that gets you on the, the Christmas list for all the families so that the families will buy the CDs. It's a easy spike. But now in a, a, a world where nobody buys CDs anymore, artists don't make any money off their music that way. I just don't know like what if, if there's even a, a replacement for the revenue. It makes me sound like an old man. Yes. Uh, when's the last time you bought like a full album? No, I mean, never. I, I can't remember. Like I, I resisted Spotify for so long and I'm, I find myself laughing now as I look back at the years of like, oh, I'm going to buy this song on, I, on iTunes for 99 cents, and then they moved to a buck 29. You used to have to buy the CD. Like, so the first time I was on tour with uh, uh, the, the band we were out with, uh, Brad Paisley, he got, we were on a tour called the Water Tour at one point, the first time we were out with Brad, and he got these iPod like, Nanos, these tiny, tiny, tiny iPods, and we were all so amazed because this itty-bitty iPod could hold 200 songs, and we're like, oh, my God, how is that possible? Like, that was that was real, kids. Just go Google it. It was a, it's a much different world. Like, I grew up going to, you know, Blockbuster and Tower Records. I used to go to Tower Records every Saturday with a buddy when I first moved to Nashville. And we would, like, we would spend every Saturday morning two hours just walking around, pulling stuff that we liked. And then we'd go to this little listening station, play it for each other so that we were, like, getting into every, like, different types of music and forcing people to listen to more stuff and spending all this money. That used to be my CD buying experience. I used to have thousands of CDs. Now I've got Spotify. You are old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, let's not even get started on the fact that, like, when I was little in Vegas, I know I'm blowing up your clock, but when I was really little in, in Vegas, uh, I remember my mom and dad had this record player, and it, we weren't, my brother and I weren't allowed to use it. And so uh, it was really expensive, and my mom and dad were uh, both working at casinos, and they, uh, they were at work, and my brother had used the record player, and he, uh, he broke the needle. And so, like, the record player's, you know, have those little needles, but back then there were hundreds of dollars for a needle. It was like hard. It was it was new technology, new technology, but it was expensive technology. So my brother tried to just shove the needle back in the record player, thinking my mom would notice. She came home and she tried to play a record in the house and realized it was broken. So then she decided, since we broke, since my brother broke it, and since I didn't tell that he broke it, and I knew <laughs> he had, she went to each of our bedrooms and she was like, "I'm going to find something as important." 
as that needle was to me of yours, and I'm going to break it. So she broke a bunch of my brother's stuff, and then she went, and she'll never forget this. She kept throwing my Millennium Falcon off the ground because toys were made quality back then, and it wouldn't break. She couldn't break the Millennium Falcon. She had to end up throwing it away. So there you go. There's your, there's your I'm old uh, fact of the day. Early 80s record players were, were life. Oh, my God. She broke your toys over this? Well, yeah, her, her message was, if you're going to break something of mine with no consequence, then I'm going to show you how it feels to have something broken uh, that you really care about. So, yeah, she broke my Millennium Falcon. She tried to break my Millennium Falcon, but no, Millennium Falcon, man, I'm telling you, Han Solo and Chewbacca knew what they were doing with that thing. Well, he is Jason Fitz from ESPN. Jason, as always, we appreciate it. <laughs> Do you? No, I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, my friend. Merry Christmas. So there is Jason Fitz. I listen. Very, very proud to never have a child. Uh, they sound like a nightmare. That sounds like bad parenting. Yeah, I, I like I was expecting. And then we had to work it off for right. the next like three weeks. Or like we took away the toy for a month or something like that. Not I'm going to break your favorite toys because you broke my record player when you're eight years old. Eh, not a deal. All right. We got Golden Knights tickets to give away. Hopefully they play. Uh <laughs> New Year's Eve game. They play the Anaheim Ducks. They're free. If you want to go see the Golden Knights and the Ducks, hopefully the game gets played. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. We'll take caller number 9 at 702-364-1100. You get a pair of tickets to go see the Golden Knights and Anaheim Ducks on New Year's Eve. From their own 45, first and 10 Roadrunners. Play action fake. Pass on a little batted in the air. Caught by the quarterback, Harris, who runs out of bounds at the 48-yard line. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. Congratulations to James Murphy. He won the tickets to go to the Golden Knights game that hopefully will be played. Um... The NFL's already implemented their new protocols about not testing vaccinated players, right? That's in place now. I think so. I think that was kind of an emergency. All right, how are we going to do this? Because Adam Schefter just tweeted out that there are 15 Jets that that are on the COVID list now. Robert Sala was the first one, but now they've got 14 players that have joined him, which either means the Jets have 14 unvaccinated players that tested positive or all these guys were symptomatic. I, Which I guess is is plausible. I don't know. I just I if I I think they're in place. So I think there's a lot more unvaccinated players than we know about. That's like ninety percent, isn't it? Yeah. So that means there's ten percent out there. Well, be Apparently, like, they're all on the Jets. Yeah, it'd be like five on each team. And Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> I don't know. So, but the Jets have fifteen. I thought. I don't know. We'll probably find out more. And if they are vaccinated, it's a lot easier to come back now than it was just two weeks ago. So it's still Wednesday. You're more likely to just survive. And hopefully this is all we talk about the Jets and Jags because we've talked about it too much already in this hour. Um, So, okay. During the break, I was reading this story here from Bring Me the News. It's a great website name, by the way. They talked to the number one ranked Madden player in the world to basically just ask him about coaching decisions on fourth down. And it's great because this kid's probably smarter than half the coaches in the NFL. Like one of the things he said is 
about fourth down decisions. These guys are getting paid millions of dollars. I would hope they can deal with that stress. That's what I'm paying you to do. You're my head coach. I want you to be able to deal with stressful situations, which is great because yes, coaches should be able to deal with that stress. But also, like I love this one where he's talking, he was talking about like using a timeout to avoid delay of games. You have to look at a timeout like 40 seconds. I'll see a coach call a timeout on third and 15 instead of making it third and 20. I don't know what the stats are for third and 15, but they're not very high. Most coaches are going to call something soft and punt the ball anyway. What's the difference between third and 15 and third and 20? I think people are finally realizing that timeouts are important. So, like... I, you only get three of them. Right. And, I like, you have to look at timeouts like 40 seconds. I, that's completely accurate because the play clock, if you run it out, it's 40 seconds. That If you need to save time later in the game to get the ball back or to... You know, if you have a drive, that's 40 seconds you can save. And if you burn a timeout in the third quarter because you don't want to face a third and eight instead of a third and three, you're better off taking a delay game. I think we're going to get to a point where teams start realizing don't take the timeout, take the delay a game. It's better.